Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. Franklin Roosevelt once said, The nation that destroys its soil destroys itself. That quote has a lot of metaphorical power, and when Roosevelt said it, I don't think he was talking about literal dirt. I think he was probably talking about the whole environment of a country, the air, the water, the land, and, yes, the soil, everything in a country that allows for it to be a living, breathing thing. Soil, for him, was a metaphor for the whole network of aliveness that makes up a country's land. But there was a country that showed that Roosevelt's sentiment, which I think is metaphorical, about a nation destroying its soil and destroying itself, could also be frighteningly and totally literal. There was indeed a nation that quite literally destroyed the ground beneath its feet. This is a story about bird guano, money laundering, one really bad musical, and the fall of Nauru. Nauru is a Pacific island nation and is the third smallest sovereign country on Earth, after Vatican City and Monaco. At just 8.1 square miles, or 21 square kilometers, it is smaller than most American cities. My hometown of Portland, Oregon, is almost 18 times larger than Nauru by area, and Portland's not even that big. And as of this episode, its population is just over 10,000. There are football stadiums with populations bigger than this sovereign nation. Nauru's tiny area, though, held immense natural wealth. For hundreds of thousands of years, itinerant seabirds used the small island as a rest stop, and as they perched on its trees and rocks, they left behind what birds leave behind when they perch on things. And the soil of Nauru was rich with guano, and therefore valuable minerals like phosphorus. The natural wealth was tempting both to foreign occupiers of Nauru, which at various times included Germany, Japan, and Australia, and later to Nauru's own independent government. Over the course of the 20th century, both colonial invaders and local governments alike strip-mined the phosphorus-rich guano-infused soil from Nauru, out from under the feet of native Nauruans, and brought immense wealth to the island. During the 1970s and 1980s, Nauru had the highest GDP per capita of any country on Earth. As far as resource extraction could go, no oil-based economy could beat the tiny, isolated Pacific Island nation. Nauru was rapidly turning its soil into cash, and, of course, the sensible thing to do was to invest that money somewhere. Obviously, an economy based on resource extraction can't last forever. Eventually, you're going to extract all the resources. So, the tiny island nation, they had to seek out investment opportunities. Nauru had to find a way to get its money to make money. Nauru made a number of investments overseas, um, most of them involving hotels and land and that kind of thing, and one of them turned out to be a bad deal. Not just a bad deal, but actual fraud. Um, it's way too complicated to go into here, but a con man managed to swindle the government in what was called the prime banknote scandal, a complicated and ultimately catastrophic financial scheme that cost Nauru over $60 million. After that was one of Nauru's more colorful financial boondoggles. Uh, one of Nauru's financial consultants, he brought a potential deal for the island. And again, they're trying to diversify their portfolio, invest their money smartly. Uh, they've just gotten taken for over $60 million with this prime banknotes fraud. 
They want to do something that's a sure thing. They want to invest in something concrete. They want to invest in something that they know there is a demand for. They want to invest in a musical. And this is in the early 1990s. Phantom of the Opera is blown up. Cats was big. This could be huge. This could be the next Les Miserables. So Naru invests in Leonardo the Musical, A Story of Love. Now, how they got involved with this was because the man who co-wrote the musical just happened to be the Naruan financial advisor who brought it before the government and told them that it was a good deal. This guy, his name was Duke Minx, and he, before he was a financial advisor to a sovereign nation in the Pacific, he was a road manager for a British pop band named Unit 4 Plus 2. And Minx, it seems, he had aspirations of also being a musician himself. So he wrote this giant, sprawling, historical, epic musical about Leonardo falling in love with Mona Lisa. And he looked to the nation that he was advising to be the funders for it. And this musical, it's all about, again, Leonardo da Vinci falling in love with Mona Lisa, having this affair. It's all about passion and romance and sweeping emotions that went into what would become the world's most famous painting. And that, of course, is all sort of absurd. Uh, The Mona Lisa isn't famous because Leonardo poured his soul into it. It's famous because it got stolen. See episode 39, How to Steal the Mona Lisa, for that whole story. Duke Minx, he showed up on Naru with a few tapes of his new musical, played a few songs for the government, and he got him to go for it. The government agreed to back this thing to the tune of 100%, eventually sinking over 2 million British pounds into this musical. And that might not sound like a lot, but for the small island nation, which again had just lost a lot in this prime banknote scandal, that was a lot of money in the early 90s. And it flopped. Leonardo, the musical, A Portrait of Love, was not good. On its opening night in London's West End, most of the audience walked out on the first performance. Less than half of them were there when it finally came time for the curtain call, and the entire thing was a long, rambling, incoherent, excruciating mess that closed after fewer than five weeks. To this day, Leonardo remains one of the most notorious flops in musical theater history, and it was Naru that had to deal with the financial loss of Duke Minx's giant creative disaster. So the musical failed, and a few other opportunities also turned bad, such as Air Naru, a flight of nine 737s that were not exactly ideally situated on the isolated island. Also, there was a Naru-based cruise ship And that didn't really yield results. It seemed like nothing that Naru did, other than resource extraction, could actually make them any money. Amid all this, the phosphorus, it was drying up. Naru, they had to do something to stay afloat. And soon, the government started straight-up selling Naru and passports to foreigners who wanted to use the island as a tax haven or as a base for money laundering. So, you could just straight-up buy a Naru passport. You could be a Naru citizen. You could just use that and go around the world. And for the equivalent of $25,000 and literally nothing else, really, literally nothing else, you didn't even have to go to Naru to do this, you could set up a licensed bank in Naru, and what you did with that totally legitimate financial institution, that was your business. Uh, The Russian mafia loved this. 
according to The Economist, some $70 billion from the Russian central bank, almost certainly mafia money, that vanished into Naruin accounts in the 1990s, never to be seen again. $70 billion going into banks based on this tiny island that is smaller than one-eighteenth of my city. The island also sold itself as a potential destination for refugees whom Australia did not want to take in. Lots of refugees sought asylum in Australia. Australia said, no. And Nauru said, hey, Australia, if you pay us, we'll take them. And Australia said, here you go. But still, the underlying problem was that the phosphorus, the soil, was gone. And eventually, Nauru looked less like a tropical paradise and more like some kind of scorched hellscape. In 1995, the New York Times said of Nauru that it was, quote, inch for inch the most environmentally ravaged nation on earth. After generations of mining, the environmental devastation of Nauru is nearly total. Four-fifths of the island has been mined out, leaving behind a pitted ghostly moonscape of gray limestone pinnacles, some as tall as 75 feet. The only habitable land is a narrow coastal fringe shaded by coconut palms. Because of the mining, even the weather has deteriorated. The waves of heat that rise from the mined-out plateau drive away rain clouds, leaving the sun-baked island plagued by constant drought. Taps run dry more than half the day. The last phosphate deposits are expected to be extracted within five years, which means that Naruans may have to live on a thin slice of island, supporting themselves only from the interests of trust funds. Unquote. That is trust funds set up by the phosphate mining money in the first place. That was in 1995. Later on, Naru did get out of the money laundering business and was able to cut a deal with Australia wherein it agreed to house a major Australian prison, which I think is sort of funny. Australia got another island country to house an island prison. Think about that for a moment. The island also holds a single embassy. Naru recognizes the sovereignty of Taiwan. And in return for diplomatic recognition and hosting an embassy, Taiwan has gifted the sovereign nation of Nauru with a series of cheap loans. And nowadays, Nauru is reduced to a shell of what it used to be. The island, again, it's been strip mined to the point where there is no longer any economically viable source of phosphorus available. And those columns of stone and earth, they're all that's left. The rich guano soil, that's gone. Naru's story is tragic. Today, its GDP and GDP per capita are minuscule, a far, far cry from having the largest GDP on Earth during the 20th century. And on several occasions, Naru watchers speculated that the whole island might eventually be just abandoned. That would be unprecedented. I can't think of any instance in world history where a sovereign country just lowered its flag, picked everything up, moved out, turned off the lights and called it quits. But Nauru has come very close. And as an economic and environmental parable, Nauru is chilling. And it's a frighteningly literal example that a country can indeed destroy its soil and destroy itself. Interesting Times is recorded at the studios of Portland's X-Ray FM 91.1 and 107.1 in Portland, Oregon, which is about 18 times larger than Nauru. Our engineer is Arthur Rosado. This is a listener-supported podcast. There are no ads on this podcast. None. Zero. Zilch. I do not work for advertisers. I work for you. You. Listening. Right now. 
If you want to support the podcast, and you do, uh, go to interestingtimespodcast.com and click on Support Interesting Times on Patreon and do that thing. Thank you very much, those of you who support already. Also, please do review us on iTunes. Leave a rating and leave a review. That is highly helpful. It helps other people discover the show. I'm on the Twitter. I am on the Tumblr. I am on the Facebook, facebook.com slash interestingtimeswithjoestreckert. Please like and retweet and reblog and social media, that kind of thing. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. Bye. Last week it starts with an earthquake. Birds, snakes, and airplanes. Yeah, Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane. Listen to yourself. Turn worlds into its own needs. Dummy, save your own needs. Speed it up and not speed. Got no speed. The ladder starts to clatter with the fear of light down. Right fire in a fire. Represent the southern gang. And the government for hiring a combat site. Unless there wasn't coming in a hurry with the fury. Speed it down your neck. Team reporters got the Trump, get the ground, look at that low plane, fine then. Uh-oh, although population corner, do but it'll do. Save yourself and save yourself a world, save your own need, listen to your heart. Tell me that the reds are in the river with the right. You patriotic, patriotic, slam fight, right? I'm feeling pretty psyched. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. I feel fine.